Hi, I'm David, and I'm the host of the Cool Jobs Podcast, a conversation where we dive deep into some of the coolest jobs on the planet. This is the home for jobs you've never heard of, or ones you never thought about before. This podcast is for students, learners, dreamers, or anyone who's interested in finding out about the coolest jobs around. I'll be speaking with experts across a wide spectrum of career possibilities with the hope that you'll find inspiration for your own career. Thanks for joining in. I'm your host, David Earnhardt, Associate Director for Employer Relations at UNC Asheville. And joining me today is Axie Blunden, Hand Sanitizer's CEO. Axie, thanks for joining us for the, for the Cool Jobs Podcast. We're excited you're here. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So first things first, you know, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are. Well, uh, thanks again for the opportunity, David. Um, I am new to Asheville, and I have been um, in the entrepreneurial space since 2016 when I started my first business. Um, originally from New York City, grew up in Virginia, educated at James Madison University, and then moved out west and worked as a activist in the nonprofit sector before jumping over into the regulated cannabis space in Colorado, where I worked for a startup which became a very large ballooning uh, corporate conglomerate and had some amazing experience there. Started my first business in 2016 to uh, do management and supply chain consulting. Um, I started a private label CBD wellness brand in 2017 and built that company to uh, 5 million a year in revenue and then Mm -hmm. took a buyout and uh, fulfilled a longstanding mission to return back east where my family has been for many generations to um, get ahead of the cannabis industry as it became federally legal with hemp and as other states began to legalize other forms of of cannabis. And um, so we opened a botanical extraction facility here to manufacture and distribute plant-based products with a focus on CBD, and we do that through a process called ethanol extraction, Mm -hmm. and we use ethanol to extract the valuable essential oils from the plant, and because of that, we had a large quantity of ethanol and all the other parts, pieces, and ingredients needed to make a sanitizer product, Mm -hmm. which was, uh, of course, in a very sudden high demand um, when COVID hit. And so in March, after uh, my last pre-COVID trip, I returned uh, from visiting my brother for his birthday, and uh, I was traveling and noticed it on the news and thought, man, you know, we we could make some hand sanitizer because I realized people were running out. And so we started making it and giving it away for free to our team members and our friends and family. And then frontline healthcare workers and health and uh, postal workers and things like that, we were giving it away because it was nowhere to be found and there was an extreme shortage. And then one of uh, our accounts, a 40 store location that we do all of their private label for, they placed an order for sanitizer and that got us in production producing tens of thousands of units of sanitizer here locally right in Western North Carolina outside Asheville. And um, since that time, we have um, got the product placed in over 100 stores. We're selling online. Um, and we have had to pivot several times because we went from being the only shop in town with no available sanitizer 
at all to um, within, you know, a couple months, you know, by late spring, summer, the supply levels were up, the competition was fierce, and we were, you know, competing with uh, other, you know, startups that were more opportunistic and later to the game than we were. And we were also competing with the Purells and Lysols of the world that had gotten their supply chains back intact and uh, were on the shelves again. And so we then pivoted to not just make sanitizer, but to make an, a very high quality plant-based sanitizer. We um, doubled down on our commitment to give back to the community at no cost and have uh, formed long-term um, relationships with nonprofits such as uh, Elida Homes, um, Homeward Bound, which both service, uh, well, Elida Homes youth and Homeward Bound, the homeless population. And recently um, we'll, we'll be also donating to Mana Food Bank on a long-term basis. And so that's kind of our commitment to help through our Here to Help program. We're still donating it and still giving it away. And um, it's made locally of 100% plant-based ingredients. And so we are um, essentially positioning ourselves to be a best-in-class, all-natural plant-based sanitizer produced here locally in Western North Carolina. and. Um, still not just selling it to the public through retail and online, but still giving it away to those in need at no cost. And that's um, a little bit of how, how I got here and, and, and what we're up to over here at, at Helios. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it, it talk about like the number of kind of shifts and pivots that you've had, not only in the last year, but in since your, since your time in Colorado too, I can imagine that, um, there is almost an incentive to, I know for myself, I'm, I'm really attracted to the new shiny, like, Oh man, that's cool. I want to do that. I want to see that thing. And then, you know, uh, at some point there, there has to be a decision of, well, do I actually really want that thing or is it just new and shiny and interesting? And so I wonder if you can kind of talk to, speak to that a little bit, like how did you make decisions based on, uh, you know, based on what you think is going to be a good idea and how do you um, position yourself long term to make sure that it's something that you can actually follow through on? Yeah, that's a great point, um, David. It reminds me of a quote by Ray Dalio, uh, who is, uh, I, I love reading his books. He's a leader of one of the larger financial firms in the world. Uh, and and it's, you know, you can do in this life, you can do just about anything, but you can't do everything. So if you put your mind to it, you can achieve almost any goal, you know, with obviously within reason, like learning to fly, that might be out of the question. But if you look at what you have and, and, and where you're going, you can achieve almost anything in this life, but you can't do everything. Right. So at a point not just in business, but in life in general, you have to pick what you want and commit to that. And then you're gonna to have to make sacrifices and give up a lot of things to achieve that goal and that vision and that mission. Um, otherwise, like you said, you will get just caught in the weeds of short-term opportunities and, and chasing shiny things. And then you won't achieve you won't achieve everything because that's impossible. You won't even, you won't achieve anything because you'll be trying to, to achieve 
everything all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, one way I think of that is, uh, you know, is opportunity fatigue, where especially, you know, sometimes you're so overwhelmed with opportunities, you know, especially being in high growth, high risk, high reward markets, um, it's easy to, you know, see all of the possibilities and get blinded by them instead of being able to see one thing clearly. Um, and I guess, you know, I don't have a secret sauce for how you like sort through all that, but I would say, you know, a couple of things. And one of those is that, you know, at least where I come from, um, I need to be, I need to have passion and purpose in what I'm doing. And if I'm not passionate about it and I don't have a great purpose for doing that, then I'm not really in it and I'm not going to be able to take it to the next level. And it's, it's easy enough. And I've been there, you know, I've, I've worked on projects or showed up, you know, uh, to work, you know, kind of in a past life without passion or purpose um, because you're getting a paycheck and you just have to, you know, do, you know, do your, do your part and, uh, and go home at the end of the day. And, and that's great. And, um, but for me, and, you know, if I'm speaking to other entrepreneurs and other people trying to find something that they're really going to be happy with, uh, and really spark a fire, you know, to find that passion and purpose. And then, you know, the second point I would say is just kind of the boring cut and dry facts of like, you know, go where the money is in the sense that like, if you're, if it's going to be a job at all, or if you're going to start a business or do this professionally, that you do have to make money in order to call it a job and you have to like, it has to be sustainable to do so. Mm -hmm. And so I know that sounds very, you know, cut and dry and pragmatic, but that's because it is, you know, you have to make sure you check that box uh, before you invest a bunch of your time and energy into it. So yeah. And I think uh, there's a lot to that as well as, you know, is this a hobby or is this something that you want to do for your living? And and I think right. that, you know, I think that it's really easy to get started with things and not necessarily so simple to, uh, to actually turn that into a long-term success or something that you could be uh, well, well compensated for. for that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess one other point, cause you know, um, I, I, I have to say I'm guilty of this. Like, and you just, when you just said like about starting things, like I love starting things and I love completing things and like, and love the, the, the feeling of a job well done, but there is a whole lot between starting and, and thinking <laughs> a project that is like doesn't isn't so exciting as it is when you're like starting off you're like this is so cool we're doing this cool thing and you're focused on the end goal and it's so exciting and then it's really exciting when you complete something and you get to celebrate and say you know we did it but man between those two points it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of deep focus and and then additionally you know i would say to to just get it out of your head, get it onto paper, get it in front of other people so you get some feedback and ideas and welcome criticism, welcome people poking holes in things. Mm-hmm. Take it to the people you think are going to be the most critical in an objective, not in like a mean way, but like in an objective way. You know, ask people to tell you to poke holes in it and, uh, and that'll help you determine, you know, if it is, is a actionable, you know, realistic path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've done that with this podcast. Actually, I've I, I, there is 
there are friends that are, you know, definitely the ones that uh, you want folks to hear at first, just to make sure that there's no, uh, it's not boring and terrible. And then there's others that you want to make sure that uh, uh, they that will give you that honest feedback and be um, be real clear with yeah. you on on what you think and what they think would could make it better. And so, I think there's getting that feedback is so important because ultimately, I think we all have. Um, a little bit of personal bias around the thought of, you know, whatever I do is good. <laughs> and, right. you know, it, having someone uh, give you that feedback that says, yes, it's good. And here's a way to improve it, I think is, is critical to, to making sure that um, you can be successful long-term. Yeah. yeah. And at the same time, there's plenty of, you know, there's plenty of cases where somebody had an amazing idea and went, you know, and everybody told them, no, don't do it. And, and by golly, they were so sure of themselves and, and they went and did it and they became an incredible success or their thing took off. So, you know, there's no, that's why there's no like one kind of code at the same time. It's like, you know, don't take a new idea home to mom and ask her if, if it's a good idea. Cause like our moms all want our ideas to be good. I mean, <laughs> everybody's mom's different, but it's just to say there's no one rule there. Sometimes, you know, I've been called crazy in a, you know, multiple times and I, and, and sometimes they're right. And sometimes it turns out, you know, they were wrong. And sometimes you do have to pursue a crazy idea. So yeah, it's a very, it's a very nuanced combination of like gut and like knowing you can do what you say you're going to do. And then also getting validated, but also not letting people limit you or, you know, some people might not see your, see your vision clearly. Um, and that's why I think the process of like getting it on paper, telling it to your, you know, your close friends, family, mentors, those things are definitely going to get you, get you down the road. Absolutely. Well, to kind of piggyback on that thought about, um, you know, good ideas and, and, you know, uh, things that you think are going to, going to work out. And some people says, somebody says you're crazy. What's an idea that you had that you were like, man, this is going to totally work. It's going to be an absolute winner and then turn out to be maybe a dud. <laughs> and then the opposite of that, maybe one that you thought would be kind of iffy, but totally worked out. Um, so two examples there, and I'm sure I could think of a couple more, but these are the two most, I think, pertinent and, um, and um, relatable. Uh, is I think one that was the idea that I thought you know would turn out one way and didn't necessarily turn out. I wouldn't say it's a total failure, and I could I could think of the total failures because we all had them. And if you haven't, then you're not you know trying hard enough. But when I when I brought my business here, actually, um, it was on the premise that by opening up a you know, a processing facility to manufacture products um, that we would be in a very strategically positioned place where we would be kind of the only shop in town and that all of these, you know, because basically 2018, um, they, they federally legalized hemp. And before that, there were some state programs and um, we thought we would get out ahead of it and be able to do make commodity products um, at a very you know at a very good profitable rate, 
and um, pretty quickly, and it wasn't our whole 100%, you know, the only plan we had, but pretty quickly we realized how many other processors and other folks across the country had, had done the same things, and, and there was regulations that changed, you know, allowing for interstate commerce, and people, people were a lot looser with restrictions than we were comfortable being, and so, you know, long story short is that market, like, quickly, the bottom fell out, and um, we were competing with, you know, much bigger labs and facilities and bigger, well-funded groups, and and so that model of, of, of making commodity products and selling them to other product companies or things like that, that kind of definitely changed because the price for the commodities just went through the floor. Right. And then at the same time, the when I started making sanitizer, I thought, you know, this is this isn't going to be a, a, its own thing. Like we just need this. I, it was kind of like almost not a novelty. Like we did it because it, we knew it was going to be gone. And I thought, you know, okay, this thing's going to blow over. There'll be sanitizer back on the shelves next week. You know, this is a movie. I thought it was a shiny object. I thought it was. You know, I I'd never use. I'd probably use sanitizer. You know. I could count it on one hand the number of times I've used hand sanitizer before COVID. And yep. it's not, I'm a, you know, I'm a clean, you know, uh, person, you know, and, and, but, but I just didn't use it very, mm -hmm. very much. If you told me I'd be making hand sanitizer, you know, a year ago, I'd think you were crazy, you know, and then it happened and we did it and it was kind of like, well, we have every, it seemed too easy. It was like, Oh, we have all that. We can make that no problem. Let's let's make a batch. Let's give it out. Let's give a bottle to our team members, our friends and family. Let's get back to business here. Mm -hmm. And you know, it kind of took it kind of took you know that account, the forty store location, to say you can make this stuff. Like we'll order tens of thousands of bottles from you. Wow. And so that was that was an example where we did something. I didn't set out for it to like be so successful and then it took off hmm. so take me through that process a little bit because it sounds like it wasn't it, it wasn't exactly a surprise and at the same time it might have taken you off guard a little bit i mean there were processes that you might have had to start as a result of this you know marketing decisions that you had to make how the labels were going to be set up you know the what what did you have to do as a as a result of this kind of aha moment uh, in order to make it a viable situation to, to sell tens of thousands of bottles when you were planning on giving it away? Man, uh, a, few, a few critical things. And, you know, I, I look back and it all just happened so fast and so naturally and organically mm -hmm. that I, I sometimes overlook like some of the, the real linchpin kind of strategic advantages that came through during this time. Um, the you mentioned the well you mentioned the label and the brand and i have a mar background in in marketing um more than manufacturing mm -hmm. and i actually had this brand sitting on the shelf i actually have to give credit where credit's due it was actually my mother who after my last company said i have this great idea for a brand name <laughs> and this was years ago and she said helios mm -hmm. And Helios is the god of sun. 
Mm. And I used this in some pitch decks and kind of in the background, but I was more focused on making products for other people. And so I kind of kept this brand on the shelf. And then when it came time to not just make sanitizer, but people were placing orders, we were like, well, we need a label. We need a brand. And it just dawned on me at that moment, Helios, the Ah. god of sun, the original and best disinfectant. Sure, absolutely. And so that just like, it was like, boom, no problem. And because of relationships with designers and, and label printers, we were able to, you know, create a label and print it like, you know, literally overnight so that it was, it was a 24 hour turnaround okay. to go from an idea to a, to an actual product in hand. Huh. Um, and and then the other thing, this is what I was thinking, is um, at that time, there were so many shortages because so many businesses closed. And then also a lot of people were ordering a lot of the same thing. So that's why at the grocery stores, they were suddenly out of sanitizer and toilet paper. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? At the sanitizer factories and you know, the chemical plants, they were, ran out of bottles. There right. was no more little bottles to be found anywhere. In fact, when I got the order for, you know, tens of thousands of units to go into the 40 stores, I got that purchase order. I was basically on the phone with the customer and on the other line with my supplier of bottles, waiting for them to confirm the order so I could order a pallet of bottles. The the pallet order went through and he called me back. My supplier in California called me back right away and said, there's only half a pallet left. Hmm. so we got the last half pallet of, of bottles for sanitizer. They were able to fill the rest of the pallet with a smaller size unit. And, um, and that was, they were out from March until July. No and kidding. We went through that so fast that I knew we were going to need more. And so what we actually did is contacted our manufacturing partners in China who, who make some of our stainless steel uh, botanical extraction equipment. And we asked them to source bottles. And so they, you know, went to the factory, you know, down the street, no joke. And, and, um, and we're able to have them manufacture our, our bottles for us. And so then we placed an order and had 50,000 bottles come by sea from China. And that has actually, um, we're almost ready to reorder it. We'll get more bottles. Luckily now supply chains are back. We have options. Um, ultimately I want to move away from, you know, uh, fossil fuel based plastics and things like that into more sustainable efforts. But yeah, those, those two things I think is what, uh, I mean, the fact that we one had a facility in all the ingredients to produce the first, round prototype call it Mm -hmm. to you know being a marketer and having a kind of portfolio of of brands and ideas i was able to take a a pre-existing idea and you know brand name and create a logo and label for this product that happened to be extremely well fitting Mm -hmm. uh, being helios the god of sun and then you know our existing relationships with manufacturers is what allowed us to get more bottles and keep that supply chain going. So now that I think it all through, it was having the, the, the brand and then having the, and access to the bottles. 
Yeah, it sounds like that is definitely uh, some fortuitous timing and also um, some preparation, it sounds like. You've had some opportunities to uh, you know, prepare yourself a little bit for, for when opportunity can strike there. When you were kind of getting started, did you have mentors or you know, folks that helped you kind of get started and get ready for, for this? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I greatly value, you know, mentors and always kind of always being a teacher and a student, you know, um, at when applicable. Um, I do have several mentors, um, some more formal than others. Um, but I would, you know, I would say I kind of have a tribe of mentors, which are, um, you know, a combination of advisors, investors, um, other entrepreneurs, people I've worked for in the past, uh, you know, and some of those are our friends and family, but most of them are people I have direct experience working with, mm -hmm. um, either working under or working side by side or, or, you know, a number of uh, investors as well. Um, and now, um, because of our grant through Venture Asheville, I now have two new formal um, mentors through that program, which I'm very grateful for. And then um, I have another um, mentor who is not formally obligated by anything, but he uh, he's the president and CEO of a um, international um, cannabis conglomerate that operates mm -hmm. in Canada, US, Israel, South Africa, uh, Australia, you know, and then basically every state possible in, in the U S and, and I worked for him for years and, uh, he's, he's, we, we are mutual fans and have maintained that relationship. Um, but I, I wouldn't ever, you know, I wouldn't advise going out on your own without finding those people that you can call, you know, during a tough time or when there's a hard decision, or when you, you know, need somebody and I, and I would try to find those people that are, um, have been through similar experiences and, and are more experienced. Like I always, you know, I always try to surround myself with people that are better or smarter at doing, uh, what they do than I am, you know, because I, I'm kind of, I mean, I'm the CEO, I lead the organization and I, I really build teams and inspire people, you know, to do their work. And so when it comes to that specific item or job or task or department or division or, you know, industry, whatever, there's always somebody out there that has more experience and has something to say. And you know what? People want to be mentors, you know, right. it's validating to them to be somebody's mentor because it means that they're doing something right that, somebody else who is uh, on a, has a vision and is on a track for success is going to them as the more knowledgeable person. Mm -hmm. And so the idea, like, I, I, I couldn't say enough how important it is to ask for help. That's an interesting thought too, about how people want to be mentors, they want to be asked. You know, sometimes, uh, especially early on in careers, it's really easy to you know, kind of get in your head a little bit and think, you know, they don't want me to, you know, I don't want to bug them or, you know, they've got so much going on. I don't know if I should, you know, and I don't know if I could ask them for anything. And I, I, it, I can imagine it's really easy to talk yourself out of 
asking for help or asking someone to, to help you out and be a mentor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's essential though. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like almost a sniff test or like a, where if, if I'm, you know, going to go into business, like if anyone's going to on a long-term level and those, and people aren't willing to seek mentorship and be humble enough to, to be vulnerable with their shortcomings, then it says something about their character, you know, that it's like, well, if you just think that you're the best and the brightest and you can do it better than everybody and you don't need anybody's help, then you're, you're shutting yourself off to like a whole world of possibilities and growth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would think that there are, you know, folks who, uh, you know, may, may think that they are the best at everything and that's great. And, and I would imagine that they find out rather quickly um, how, much growth they have to they have to have <laughs> yeah yep and it's it's like everything it's this fine nuanced balance where it's like this sweet spot between because at the same time as you need to seek mentorship and be honest and humble about what you can and can't do you also kind of need this like incredible uh ability to say you can go out and do something to like say i'm gonna do that you know, I'm going to, I'm going to achieve that goal. I'm going to be like that person. I'm going to build this organization, you know, where it's kind of, you do kind of have to be like crazy enough to go try to do this, whatever you're doing on your own, but humble enough to ask for help along the way. Mm, I like that it, to be crazy and humble at the same time. I like that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard. <laughs> Well, so, you know, we haven't really talked too much about your actual, your actual role. So tell me a little bit about the, the process of your job, you know, like, how do you work with your team? Uh, you know, how do you come up with ideas? Like, you know, uh, just kind of take me through the, a day in the life of a hand sanitizer CEO. All right. Um, well, I get up uh, between five and 530 and I give myself the like two to three hours in the morning to totally to myself, uh, so that I can work out, uh, meditate or journal, and then, you know, prepare some food for the day and, um, really check in with myself so that as soon as, you know, the work day and, you know, the first meetings and things happen, that no matter how the day goes, like I've already won the day mm-hmm. because I, I made time for myself. I, you know, did those core things of self-care and wellness that allow me to go throughout the rest of the day and, you know, week and, and months and years of, of doing this type of activity. And that, I, I say that because, you know, you ask what, a typical day, that is one of, that is like such an important part of my day. Um, and only is that, that's only becoming increasingly more important as I, you know, age, and continue on this journey. Um, and so I, I would recommend everybody to really find that morning routine or just that routine that you give yourself what you need before you, you know, give yourself away to the, to the rest of the day in the world. I like um, that idea of starting with intention. I like it, you know, being waking up and saying here that with an intention and with a focus, I like that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you know, we have to take care of our own well-being uh, before we can, you know, go be of service and 
Um, and then, you know, so that'll, you know, get my day going at the office, you know, between eight and nine. Um, and then, um, I, I guess zooming out from there, I mean, cause every day still is a little bit different. I spend most of my time working with people and communicating with people either on calls on, on virtual or in-person meetings and then via email, um, a big part of my job is bringing people together, building teams, inspiring people, and you know, identifying the right seat and the right people for that seat. Um, and I, I try to simplify, you know, a very complex organization and think of it in terms of, you know, sales and marketing is one department, operations is the other department, and then finance and administration, and try to put everything in those buckets and. Um, through my mentors, I have, you know, a lot of tools that I've worked with them and have developed. Um, so, you know, as we've grown and scaled, you know, I, I, I started this business with a friend and we have friends and family that started helping us. Um, but we, and I've done that before and we've kind of outgrown that phase where now we're finding the right people for the job, not just the grabbing the, the closest but person that will lend a hand. Mm. Um, and so a lot of that structuring the organization, checking in with people, you know, balancing, um, empowering people to, to take on more responsibility while not, you know, pushing people too hard or not micromanaging and all these things. And so a lot of communication, a lot of what I do is to consistently, you know, articulate the vision and mission of the company. And then from there, you know, go through our, our 90 day, you know, our 10 year, three year, one year, 90 day goals, and then assigning each team member um, rocks, what I, which are kind of your 90 day deliverables or projects you're working on. So that you always have something, you always have that main core focus of, of, your, of your job. And at this point in the, in, in my journey, we are, I'm not like taking on a lot of new projects and not even a lot of new customers. We've kind of gotten to like a threshold where, you know, it's kind of always this kind of game of, of like build and stabilize and build and stabilize. And mm -hmm. right now we've like built, you know, uh, considerably this year and now it's, time to really stabilize the foundation and get ready for the next climb. Um, and so I'm very focused on operations and finance and administration uh, currently for the rest of the year. And, you know, that's the next kind of 60 days call it is going to be heavily focused on that. And then it's going to be time to kind of put some gas in the tank as far as feeding the sales and marketing engine and, and growing again. Um, mm -hmm. And I was thinking about that too, you know, before this, it's like, what, in some ways, like, you know, as a CEO and as the leader of the organization, I'm, you know, constantly articulating the vision, making sure we're all like heading in the same direction and walking in the same pace. And then from there, I kind of have to like, just go where I'm needed, you know, and until, until I can hire, you know, a GM, a bookkeeper, a graphic designer, uh, you know, a salesperson, all those things until I can bring those people in house. I, it's either, you know, I, I pay someone to do it or I do it myself or mm -hmm. another member does it. So it's kind of, 
you know, wearing a lot of hats. And then once it gets above my head or my skill set, you know, quickly getting it on the desk of somebody who can handle it. So a lot of delegating. Um, I try not to reinvent the wheel. I try not to, you know, be that person that's, that says I'll, I can do it all or try to take on too much. I try to let go as, as many things as I take on, Mm. meaning like empower somebody else to take that role on and, you know, free. And that kind of is a process called succession where you make sure that there's, you know, somebody that's trained so that if I got hit by a bus today, that somebody could, you know, still get the orders out the door and things like that. Yeah, it has to move on even if you do get hit by the bus. I I, <laughs> I, I always have that saying because it just it's like the most generic and it's also <laughs> the most like, well, that could happen. <laughs> yeah, I think about that a lot. I, I say that a lot, and then at the same time I'm very guilty of not delegating anything. <laughs> so oh, I am I, too. <laughs> I am too. I mean, we can't be perfect and you know, and then once again, leverage those mentors and advisors, find people that have done what something similar to what you've done before and ask them, like, what did you do between, you know, when you had so much graphic design work, but couldn't get an in-house designer and couldn't afford an agency, you know, because that's frankly, that's like where I am. Like, you know, we, I have so much design work that I could fill a designer's plate but you have to find that person and it takes, it's a process and this stuff needs to get done. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yep. I think if it's, if it's an inconsequential amount of time, you know, give it a stab yourself. If it's a long-term thing that you're like learning a whole, like maybe it's like, there's a rule where it's like, if people do this for a living, maybe, maybe go ask somebody, you know, like, (laughs) like bookkeepers or like, it's like graphic designers or, you know, if there's people doing this full time for a job, there's a whole like, you know, if there's one person doing it, there's thousands of people doing it and there's whole <laughs> firms dedicated to it. So if there's like a, a full time role for this, go seek help. Mm. So, you know, this podcast is geared toward, you know, students at UNC Asheville and, and we're the public liberal arts and sciences university uh, for the North Carolina system. So, you know, I was wondering how you would say that you've used your degree and, you know, how you've used it to get to where you are. Absolutely. Um, Great question. And well, first of all, I'd like to say that I did um, tour UNCA when I was looking at at college and, uh, and I went, I I went to a few other schools. I ultimately, and this kind of ties into the answer to that question because I ultimately after high school did not go straight into a four-year university. Hmm. Um, I, I followed my passion as a musician and um, another passion, uh, a love of food and cooking. And um, I had an opportunity to be a kitchen manager um, of a new restaurant at a very young age. And, um, and also was, pursuing a music career. I play bagpipes and, uh, and bass. Really? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> which is actually very, that Celtic music is very popular here, which is sure. so at home. Um, 
and you know that that was really my first entrepreneurial activity was being a musician and hmm. i put a case down on the street and uh people started throwing dollar bills in it and i said all right let's let's see where this goes that's and awesome i've i spent you know, I've, I've done, that's called busking, street performers. I've done that all over the country, all over Europe. I've mm-hmm. worked, I helped build an app for it and um, ha- did that professionally for, for you know, on and off for years. Um, and so that's to say that I, I didn't go straight into a university program. I went to, I enrolled in community college mm-hmm. um, in Charlottesville, Virginia, at area where I grew up. And I completed, um the associate's degree program and and then through in virginia they have a guaranteed admission program which you can enroll directly in a state university from community college mm-hmm. and so that's what i did and um when i well i went from piedmont community college to james madison university in harrisonburg virginia and i i absolutely loved it and when I went to visit, or when I enrolled, I enrolled in business school in management. Mm-hmm. And I did that because it was, you know, I, I said, well, I like to manage things. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, my dad went to business school and is an entrepreneur and, and it just kind of dinged and made sense on the surface. And then I started going to the classes and it was all spreadsheets and all all math you know and calculus and and all this at least at at that stage in the program and i thought oh man i don't want to do any any of this and and it just wasn't you know i had already kind of had a sense of business and entrepreneurship and then i'm like stuck doing all these spreadsheets that i was just didn't weren't making sense and 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 weren't sparking you know a passion in me and so i switched programs uh, and, and followed my passion, which, you know, I, which is kind of my guiding light. Um, and I switched programs and I studied uh, media arts and design mm-hmm. as my major uh, or SMAD, the School of Media Arts and Design, and uh, music industry as my minor. And both mm-hmm. of those programs at that school at that time were very kind of cutting edge, new, popular, and... Uh, and so, you know, I did those things so I could kind of pick up tools that would be useful in marketing and um, was very still focused on music. And also wanted to kind of surround myself with like-minded creative people mm. that you might find in a media arts and a music school at a university as opposed to, you know, the, the everyone at the business school. And I'm very happy with that decision, um, mainly because I followed my passion and did something that really sparked an interest in me, not because I thought I could land some job and make a bunch of money, you know, right out of college, but because I knew that I would be doing something that mattered to me and working with people that I wanted to be around. And I used all those, you know, skills right out of school and was, you know, got, um, you know, as a marketing manager, for a, a nonprofit and use my design skills and to create all of my own flyers for the shows I was booking and promoting and, and uh, you know, s- pursued music and media for some time until I, until I moved uh, out West and got involved in, in the regulated 
cannabis market. And even so there I was a marketing person and um, it, it only is now recently that, uh, that I do live most a great deal of my life when I'm not on calls and on the phone or sending emails. I, a lot of spreadsheets, you know, <laughs> You were able to put that off for a long time. So that's, yeah. <laughs> you've done well. <laughs> but it came back and I'm, I'm glad I made the decisions I, I did. And I would say, you know, there's nothing like the opportunity to go to, uh, to go to seek higher education. And that's changing a lot these days. And I think, you know, being open to any sort of education uh, is important. And it's almost more important just to be a lifelong learner. Mm-hmm. than it is to get any particular degree from any sure. particular institution. Um, as long as you can be a lifelong learner and, you know, study and work in a way that sparks joy and passion, then I think, uh, you know, that's a, that's a recipe for happiness. Hmm. Well, the, uh, the mascot for James Madison is the Duke. And uh, it is very similar to a bulldog. So we will, we will count you as an honorary bulldog, even though uh, you decided not to go to UNC Asheville. We'll, we'll still oh, man, that. I didn't even make that connection. <laughs> That's I why I have this. Honorary bulldog. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, and, and I do want to say how uh, excited I am to have uh, my company featured in the entrepreneurship program. Um, so you... you may likely be, hear, be hearing more about Helios uh, in the future as we will be the official study of an entrepreneurship class there. And uh, really, really grateful for the opportunity to you know, be a part of that academic community. But we appreciate you being a part of you know, it, opening up your, you know, your world to, to students at UNC Asheville because it could be really easy to be very you know, closed booked and, and you know, closed minded around uh, wanting to you know, just be protectionist uh, about your, uh, about your work. And we really appreciate you uh, jumping in with both feet and and willing to let students uh, come in and play around. I think that's going to, going to be really impactful uh, for the students that are here and in that class. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm just grateful that, you know, you and uh, the other professors there are, are open to that. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's a university and all, all the cool things start in that, in that world, you know? And so I'm glad that we're all seeing that, seeing that clearly. And um, I'm, I'm thrilled. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, speaking of cool things, uh, who's somebody that you think has a cool job? Hmm. Well, David, you know, that's a great question. And I can think of a lot of people, um, you know, in the entrepreneurial startup world, you know, big names like the Richard Branton's of the world. And at one time in my life, I, I guess I look, looked up to, you know, rock stars and things like that, but that that's really changed. And um, I think when, what comes to mind is actually uh, in the local community here is a friend uh, and mentor and colleague, Terry Houck, uh, who actually introduced us and um, has also been representing and, and helping to distribute uh, our Helio sanitizer product to the local community. He's an amazing person, big heart. He has a business that is in business to do good as well as be in business with Amp Connect and uh, and p- placing people in recovery into meaningful 
long-term work opportunities. Um, so that kind of value-based business is really something that I look up to. And then also come to think of it, he is a alumni of UNC Asheville. And uh, so, you know, shows you what, um, what that institution is putting out. And, and I'm just really excited to have him as a, a friend, mentor and colleague and, and that he made our acquaintance and, and here we are. So that's, that's who I would definitely like to uh, nominate as somebody I look up to uh, with their cool job in the community. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much for that. That's, uh, that's excellent. I like seeing folks uh, kind of paying it forward and paying it, uh, uh, repaying the favor as well. That's awesome. That's right. Well, thank you so much for your time and for being a part of the Cool Jobs podcast. We're really excited that you were able to join us. Uh, how can uh, our listeners learn more about Helios? Absolutely, David. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure and an honor to, to be here and looking forward to this engaging with the student body at UNC. Um, I would like to point you to our website um, to learn more about Helios. That is heliossanitizer.com. Helios is spelled H-E-L-I-O-S sanitizer.com. And um, you can see more about the product there and order it online. Um, but please check us out there and look at look out for us uh, around the community. You can find us in all the Green Sage uh, locations and soon to be in Earth Fair and others. And um, you'll find my contact information on those websites and happy to answer any direct calls or questions. Absolutely. And if, some, and if folks want to hear more about your charitable work, they can follow uh, the hashtag, uh, hashtag here to help. Uh, if I'm correct in that. That's right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Axie, for being, for sharing your time, your expertise and your cool job with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Cool Jobs Podcast, a service of the Career Center at UNC Asheville. Like what you heard? Give us a like, share with your friends, and subscribe. Next time, we'll be talking to Matisse Maloche, Citizen Science Innovation Project Manager. So make sure to check it out. We'll see you next time.